Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode number 80, Apple Podcast episode 80. Thanks so much, everybody, for following along. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate all of you coming to the show week after week. I appreciate the fact that you tell friends, and I appreciate the fact that you give me some nice feedback and all that good stuff. This episode is brought to you by FetchClass.com. FetchClass.com is a teaching and learning website where you can teach and be taught any one-on-one video conference. There's some teachers on there. It's free to join. We're looking for teachers, always looking for good teachers, and we're always looking for students. Please go over there, sign up for free, join FetchClass.com. Also, Banggood.com. Banggood.com is part of the affiliate program that I have going on the Appalog.ca website. If you go to Appalog.ca and click on those banners on the right side, one of them there is Banggood. Banggood is a place to go buy things at a fraction of the cost. They take a little bit longer to get delivered to North America, but you get some good deals, especially if you're into remote-controlled cars, quadcopters, sex toys, any of those weird things. Great deals to be had. I bought myself a 3D printer off Banggood for $500, which is kind of half price. If you, if you really think about it, it's actually working in the background right now and has been for the past eight weeks. And so, InsightRecorders.com. Go to InsightRecorders.com to check out the, the rates. Um, now featuring download codes. Download codes are a thing. If you're a website, if you're a band and you have a website and you want to sell something over the merch table, you can sell download codes for your, for your music. You can sell them right there over the merch table. It's very convenient. Uh, so far, I have a band called Rules, and they're using my download code system, and it works really good, and they sell tons of stuff. It's awesome. So go to InsightRecorders.com. Also taking bookings for this summer. Also online mixing and mastering services. It's all there. Another affiliate program is MusiciansFriend.com. Same thing. Go to Appalog.ca. Click on the Musician's Friend banner. There's deals to be had. They're all over the place. Musician's Friend. The big one, Amazon.com, .ca.uk, same thing, Appalog.ca, click on the banner, bookmark the banner. And every time you go to shop on Amazon, go to that bookmarked link. You'll be supporting the show and doing a very good service to me and my show. While you're on the Appalog.ca site, go to Appalog.ca slash shop or click on the shop button on the website. You can pre-order my new acoustic album, buy a t-shirt. And buy the Foursquare discography, and I did a count, and it's over 71 songs, actually. For 20 bucks, you can have the whole Foursquare discography. Go there. Patreon.com slash Apolog is a place to go and pledge the show on a monthly basis. If you want to, you can pledge as little as much as you want. You can cancel at any time. And what this whole thing does is it sponsors my gas fees and hosting fees. My current patrons are Michael Pitts, Curtis Pippen, and Mark Peralta. Thank you so much, guys, for helping the show out. It means a lot, and I really appreciate it. Follow the show on Facebook, facebook.com slash Pod. Follow me on Twitter, at SimonHead666. Go to iTunes, the big one, and the final one, before we get to the show. iTunes, okay? So when you're on iTunes and you support the show with iTunes, you can just subscribe, rate, and review. Give it five stars. Let me know what you think. Always good to have good comments on there, and it really helps with the ratings on the show. All right. Today on the show is Rude Van Steens. Rude Van Steens is the singer and lyricist in the band called Arson. 
He's also been in so many other bands. He's been a musician. He's he's also works for the government. So this is the gentle blend between life and art, where he seems to have rude got this figured out, and he's going to tell you how. And so everybody, thank you so much for listening to the show again. I give you Ruth Vansteen's on the Apple Podcast. Rude Vansteens. Is that Dutch? I was thinking. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I was born there and I spent the first seven years of my life there. Okay. Which part? Uh, the Hague. The Hague. Oh. Mm-hmm. Den, Den Haag. Is Den Haag. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. You were born there and then how long did you live there before you moved over to Canada? Seven years. I came here and uh, I was seven years old. Just turning seven, actually. Uh, we came here in the fall. And uh, it was uh, quite a transition for me because it was going back to school right? mm-hmm. and learning English. Well, I guess you would still learn a little bit of English at the age of seven, anyways, right? Not that much, really. Okay. So when I got here and the teacher asked me a question, and I, of course I answered in Dutch, the entire class burst out laughing, mm-hmm. which was a very fast lesson for me because I thought, okay, uh, first you know, first lesson of humiliation. <laughs> By the time I uh, reached grade three, I spoke better English than people who were born in this country. Mm-hmm. I made it a point. Of course. Okay, and I just said, no, I am not going. And then um, I was also uh, in grade three, mandatory in, in Montreal, of course, you uh, you start learning French. Mm-hmm. So I became very, became totally fluent in French and English once I uh, finished high school and everything. So. But when, Dutch, no, I forgot all about you, that. Do you don't know the Dutch? No, my parents told me, we're in Canada now, you can speak English or French, but we're not going to speak Dutch. So That's interesting. I can tell you, which means God damn it. <laughs> it sounds like uh, you're spitting up something. <laughs> yeah. That's the other thing. It's not a romantic language mm, at all. It's a bit, a, harsh, very, bit hard. very harsh and guttural, like German. Yeah, yeah. You know, in many yeah. ways. I've been to Holland and they speak everything too. They speak French, they speak German, yeah. they speak uh, Dutch. Yeah, they're they're taught English uh, from usually grade two onward. Yeah, it's yeah. a big different system and the fact that they have to learn the, the international language, which is English, unfortunately, but it's it helps. And it really does help though with learning because if you're learning other languages, you're going to learn school. Mm-hmm. Yep. Everything's going to be a lot easier because you're listening and well, way more. Oh yeah, definitely. Trying to translate definitely. and whatnot. So moving to Canada... Did you come over on a boat? No. Nope. No, you flew? Royal, like KL, KLM Royal Airlines. <laughs> My parents came over on a boat. My mom did anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, did I come over on a boat? I think I came over mm. on a boat. Yeah. From England. These are delicious. What are these, by the way? We're eating some treats. Uh, date brownies, homemade date brownies. They are delicious. Date, date squares, I should say. Like a cross between a butter tart and apple crumble. Yeah. It's so good. Your is this from your wife? Yeah, she's a yeah. Because I remember when we were recording, you came with some delicious blueberry, yep, tasty treats of sorts, and it was a uh, very good. Yep, she's uh, she's a uh, she's amazing that way. She's an amazing cook. She mm-hmm. uh, bakes 
stuff like this for me all the time. So oh, okay. <laughs> how do you deal? Kind of ruined, kind of spoiled. <laughs> so at the age of seven, you came over. When? What year is that around? Uh, <laughs> you don't remember? Yeah, it was, uh, it, was, uh, it was the late 50s, 58, I think it was, yeah, 58. And learning English, being at school, when did you start getting into music? Uh, when I was, uh, let's see, uh, I started listening to music and kind of getting into it, I guess, in the 12 years old, mm -hmm. 62. What were the bands? Uh, I listened to Beatles. Uh, no, that was sixty-four. Oh, I guess sixty-two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sixty-two. I was. Uh, I think sixty-two, sixty-three. I was getting into. Uh, uh, I, Roy Orbison was around. Mm -hmm. uh, Johnny Cash was around. Uh, my first record I ever bought was Four Hundred Nine by the Beach Boys, mm -hmm. and uh, a Jan and Dean record. Yeah, so I was. I was. You know, buying. I was into that. Sort of just getting. You know, myself familiarized. Um, I had a sort of natural, it seemed like a natural uh, uh, feel for uh, for rhythm. Um, so I would sit there and listen to the songs on the radio and tap the beat with my hands mm. and my feet, which brought me to my uh, my first uh, instrument, which was drums. Mm -hmm. And by the time I, I, was, I, I was working a paper route, I saved enough money. Basically, I uh, went out and bought my first cymbal uh, started out on empty ice cream containers, mm -hmm. plastic tubs, and my first crut symbol, which I bought for $25 from my newspaper savings. Just and one symbol. Yeah, one symbol. <laughs> one symbol on a coat hanger, because I, <laughs> I couldn't afford a stand. <laughs> and I had this old soya barrel with a, a, a rubber, an old rubber Mac raincoat stretched over it, tied off with a, an inner tube from a bicycle. That was my floor tom. So, How did it sound? Oh, it was exactly uh, how it sounds like. Yeah, exactly what it sounds, <laughs> it sounds like. like. Thud, thud, thud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and I had a pair of dowling. I had a I had a dowling rod that I cut in half with my first sticks. So essentially, uh, from there I built it up, and I bought. I think I bought my first kit when I was thirteen, mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, practiced for a while. And next thing you know, I was in my. I was already in a blues band. That's the okay. first thing I played. I was in a, you know, and, and we were doing, uh, I was 14, we were doing uh, shows in uh, in clubs and I had to lie about my age. Really? Well, I guess that'd be a tough one too because what was the drinking age? 18? Mm. Yeah. 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 So you looked old for 14? Or they just turned a blind eye, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah you, know, you know what they say about uh, the drinking age in Quebec is merely a suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the five-hour labor law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know that was my first. Uh, that was my first foray into music. As I was, I listened to the Beatles. I liked the Stones more. I liked the Animals more. Uh, so you're more garage rocker. Yeah, yeah. yeah not yeah, into the I, pop. No, and I got into the. Uh, I got into a lot of the American garage bands as well. Right. You know that that came out at the time. So mm -hmm. I I was fully ensconced in uh, in garage and stones and animals and you know the sort of blues bit of jazz too believe sure. it or not you know i, I was yeah. listening to uh to coltrane and a few other people at that time yeah as a drummer i was listening to the jazz drummers you know mm -hmm. uh, people that uh, like tony williams playing with miles davis things like that it's funny how um blues and jazz was influenced a lot by the brits too how how they you know you've heard the story where there was an actual seaport 
in the states and people would pick up albums and take them over to like liverpool yeah drop them off and people would buy them and then they realize hey wait there's an actual market here people want this stuff because it yep. sounds american it sounds black this is what we want to hear hence the beatles the stones yeah. yeah the animals all that stuff came from just this these merchant seamen traveling yeah. around the world bringing with, it bring them the roots yeah isn't know? that crazy and yeah. then they go and reinvent it and give it back to the united states and say there you go take that that's that's yeah. our version of blues exactly which know. probably is more true than what was happening if you think about mm -hmm. it right you know because it's more yeah, I don't know. People take it more serious. Yeah, I yeah. I well, I remember uh, some of the stuff that came over, um, uh, John Mayall Bluesbreakers, uh, uh, stuff like that that came mm. over here with the Beano comic on the cover with Eric Clapton. Yeah, I remember that stuff was coming over, and it was people were like, "Wow, what is this?" Yeah, and it's the funny thing was exactly as you said. It's like we've taken, you know, American music, sent it over to England. The Americans weren't listening to it. No. Not not much at all. I mean, yeah. you know, I was uh, my first band. Like I said, my first foray was in a, a band called the uh, uh, Danny Goldberg uh, Blues uh, Blues Band. It was one of the bands I played in, and it was all uh, very much Muddy Waters, uh, Paul Butterfield, mm -hmm. uh, a whole variety of different blues artists. That you know, uh, John Lee Hooker. Yeah, we played renditions. Of their original songs mm -hmm. you know and the thing was i already knew this stuff so when people were coming up to me and saying you heard this john mayall guy <laughs> you know with eric clapton and i said oh yeah that's that uh, those songs were old man old news yeah <laughs> it's old news to me yeah you know yeah so yeah I, I like the fact that when 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 it when, when it came over back over again that you know i guess elvis sort of took black music and made it his and yeah. you know and even Buddy Holly to that effect kind mm -hmm. of took rock and roll and but the Delta blues and things that moved over to England were literally coming from, you know, ports of yep. the South. And I think there's a bit of blatant racism going on too, the fact that, oh, you don't want to hear this black music. Yeah. And the Brits didn't care. No. They no. had no care about no. that. They had no they quarrel. just thought they just thought like, wow, what is this? You this know, sounds this cool. Is, this yeah. sounds cool. Yeah, you know? just like early Fleetwood Mac and stuff. It's yeah. like they just want to be the biggest blues band in the world. That's know? right. Which yeah. could have been possible. Like, you know, Joe Cocker, like all this crazy stuff. It's like that shaped music. Yep. You know. I remember the early Fleetwood Mac with uh Christine McVie and um before uh before they commercialized in America and they had yeah. Peter Green. Peter so, Green, yeah. Almost, yeah. you know. Yeah, once Peter Green was gone, then it turned into, you know, the pop very, Fleetwood Mac, you know. Yeah, yeah. very commercial uh, endeavor. Yeah. When yeah. they when they got uh what's her name? Uh Stevie, Stevie Nicks, Nicks and, and, and her husband. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because that's there was that agreement saying you can't take me unless you take That's it. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen the um the Sound City documentary? No. They explain that. He explains it that they wouldn't um uh, they went to go look at the studio, and the studio they heard in the back room was was early like versions of Stevie Nicks, and they're yeah. like, "What is this stuff?" And they you know, so ended up bringing him in the band, and became yeah, became Fleetwood Mac. Became that a way. new Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, reinvented. Talk about reinvention. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, through through like the '60s and stuff, and you know, you went. Did you go to university? Did you high, like how was your schooling and everything? In uh, in Quebec, grade eleven was. Um, the end of your schooling mm -hmm. at that point. Mm -hmm. And being the oldest of eight kids, my... Um... Eight kids? Mm -hmm. Do the parents remember your name? <laughs> <laughs> my parents had three and they go, 
Andrew Simon, you know, like the, the names yeah. are, with three. Oh yeah, my my uh, my parents were pretty good at. Uh, yeah, but I mean, well, they did make you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and I was first born. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, but I was the oldest of eight, and when uh, uh, we uh, say, how do I explain this? When my my parents first came here, my father had been studying medicine in Holland. When he came here, they told him that his credentials were not valid because they weren't North American standard. Yeah, it still happens. So yeah. he ended up uh, basically doing anything he could, sweeping floors, uh, restocking shelves, and uh, working in a furniture store, whatever he could get his hands on to support my mother and eight kids. Mm -hmm. So when I finished high school, it was like, look, you either get a job or figure out a way to sort of make this support. work for yourself, yeah. support yourself, because, yeah. you know, we can't do it anymore. So I left. Uh, I left at the age of 16. Um, was it a fair parting? Well, <laughs> it was a kind of like, I'm not fitting in here anymore either. I was... Uh, yeah. Well, being... How old were you? You say 16? 16, yeah. Being 16, you haven't really realized... No. Yeah, you're not even... You're still I an was, angry teenager. The thing, the thing of it was, when I was 14 and 15, I was already sort of thinking about what it would be like to, to move to move on, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, I had already been playing, uh, playing in bands and doing that kind of stuff for a couple of years at that point. Um, I'd gone to see, I, I probably saw everybody I ever wanted to see, with the exception of very few. But I, I went and I would sneak out late at night and go to the Esquire show bar mm -hmm. and catch James Brown and the Famous Flames. Amazing, you know? yeah. Um, uh, four tops, people like that, that would come into town for a couple of nights. I remember one time, 1967, January 1967, Frank Zappa did a three-week stint at a place called the New Penelope on Sherbrooke Street. Two bucks to get in, it was a coffee house. Crazy. And they were the house band for three weeks. You saw Frank Zappa for... Frank Zappa, the original Mothers of Invention. Wow. With, with Jimmy Carl Black and, and, and Billy Mooney on drums, uh, two drummers, and half the band was on the dance floor. Because they were so big. So much equipment, you know, it was like a huge band. Yeah. And no two nights ever sounded the same. Yeah. They were, there, was a, there was like a yeah. lot of improvisation going on. Yeah. That was their whole forte. Yeah. They would come in there and say, okay, guys, what are we doing tonight? Yeah. And just launch into something. And Frank Zappa was a very, he would write the music too. Mm -hmm. And he yeah. would write the music on a plane and then land in a, in a studio, come to a studio and have it charted and say, play this. Yep. And um, his son actually is doing a bunch of new Frank Zappa, or old Frank Zappa. He's, Dweezil is doing Zappa songs now. Yeah. But yeah. he had to learn it because he doesn't, he's learned by ear. But, but that's what his dad did is Frank Zappa would be on a plane, write the music out by hand. And go to yeah. a studio and say play that, and it was always perfect. Yeah, one of the first uh, one of the one of the things that he always insisted on was with his musicians whether they were able to read, mm -hmm. uh, because he uh, his you know his training etc. Yeah, uh, involved that. I mean, even though it sounds a lot of it sounds totally off the wall and improvised, a lot it's of the all... stuff was just written. You yeah. know, that guy lived a life. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. My. yeah. Yeah. Gosh, because I got into Frank Zappa and the, like the Joe's Garage, Shiki Booty, yep. the, the commercial, I guess it would be considered the commercial era, Yep. Uh, but I didn't get into the 80s with the Valley Girl and then the stuff, and then there was those two records, and I'll never, they were my two, two of my probably top 10 favorite albums of all time, Joe's Garage in particular, I could listen to time and time and again, yep. and I didn't even know there was a side four up and for most of my, because I would always listen to his double album, 
I would listen to side one, side two, maybe a bit of side three, but I never got the side four. And then I don't know if you know the album, but the last song is Little Green Rosetta. Yeah, yeah. And you listen to it and go, oh my God, this is the funniest song in the world. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, when, when I saw them it, in uh, was January 67, they were touring the very first album, Freak Out. Mm. And uh, doing some stuff from the, the, the forthcoming album, uh, which was a takeoff on Sgt. Pepper. <laughs> Remember that with the with the vegetables on the cover? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Forget the name of that one, but yeah, I got to go back into old Frank Zappa because it was like me with Elvis Costello. Like I got into the commercial Costello, yeah, and then I went back, and then I went frontwards, yeah. You know, so I started, you know, but it's the same idea. Here's such a body of work that you could tune into um, when you're twenty. When I was like nine and ten, going, this is the funniest, best yep. music ever. And then you listen to the musicianship of it. You get a little bit better mm -hmm. in music, and then you go, holy crap, there's so much more to this. I remember when My Aim is True came out. That was, mm. a, that was the first thing that I, that I heard by him, and that was like, yeah. wow. You hey, you came, may I ask you this question before? Yep. Who came first, Graham Parker or Elvis Costello? Because uh, Graham had like a blues thing, right, in the early 70s. Or is it kind of like a bluesy kind of pub rock thing. But then when Elvis Costello and when My Aim is True came out, it seemed like Graham Parker might have changed the style to suit the angry... Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think that's the way it went. I, I think I think you're right because he was a pub, mm. a pub rocker for, for yeah. long, and I think for a while before Costello. Yeah, um, I think Costello's greatest, one of his greatest uh, triumphs was. I heard you heard the story about the CBS convention that was going on, and nobody wanted to listen to him, and he got on a flatbed truck with a band <laughs> and went outside of the CBS where they were having the convention <laughs> and just cranked everything up. Yeah, yeah, and everybody went. Yeah, he made some enemies too, right? When oh, he yeah. played Radio Radio and stuff, and yep. you know, and and I I like yeah, definitely Elvis Costello to me is an inspiration because he does stick the middle finger to a lot of people, and yeah. even you know, I don't know about today, maybe tomorrow, no. or but he definitely. I'm starting to read his book. I'm trying to read his book, and I'm yeah. about sort of a hundred pages in, and I just got so busy I haven't been able. But he has such a an amazing career in life of of how. He became as his father was, you know, a band leader and yeah. you know, a singer, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. But, um, but the fact, I mean, you know, here you are in Montreal seeing Frank Zappa. Yep. That nobody fun. will be able to be able to say that. There's probably 20 people that could say the same thing, maybe. It's like when the police played the... Horseshoe. The Horseshoe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a thousand people saw that show. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've interviewed three people who saw that show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cleve. I yeah. think Cleve or Cleve missed it because the Ramones were playing the same night. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. something. And then um, who did see it? Oh, um, I think David David Quentin saw it. Steinberg. Yeah, he saw that show. Did you see it? No. Okay. Did you see the Ramones? Because he played the same. Seen night. the Ramones. Yeah. Yeah. That same night. Yep. That's hilarious. The same night. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where did they play? Where did the Ramones play again? Was it the it's concert in, hall or was it the? Um, I think it was the New Yorker. The New Yorker. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I've seen the New Yorker. I remember seeing the vibrators at the New Yorker mm -hmm. uh, first time out. Um, and uh, it's a funny story uh, because I was um, putting together the band Arson uh, at the time, and I had already done some demo stuff with some friends of mine from Montreal. Mm -hmm. um, we did a, a French song called Stene, which means I'm fed up, yeah. and a couple of other songs we recorded, and we were shopping them with a friend of ours in Los Angeles. And nothing happened. The guy basically, you know, the guy who was supposed to be doing the shopping wasn't really doing the shopping. Yeah. He just, you know, so I ended up coming back to Toronto and I saw the vibrator show at the New Yorker. 
And then I'm walking down the street the next day, and I see Marcel. He's got this V hmm. button on his, you know, the, the yeah, vibrators yeah. logo. And I said, oh, do you know the vibrators? He says, no, no, no. He says, somebody just gave me this button. I thought it was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> was that your first time meeting Marcel? That was the first time I met Marcel on Young wow, Street. Wow, really? And then I, he said, I play guitar. And I said, oh, I'm, I've got a band I'm putting together, you know, called Arson. And I, I wanted, you know, do you want to? So he came down to the Phillips building, yeah. the Uglies rehearsal spot, and uh, we went through an hour of Gene Genie. Okay. And that was his, that was his, his uh, yeah, that was his, uh, what do you call it, audition. <laughs> I auditioned into the band. And that was, that was like yeah. 1977. And what brought you to Toronto? So you'd moved out of the house at what area, age, uh, like you, that was late 60, 60s. Yeah, 16, I was, uh, 60 would be in the uh, 67, 66, 67. So what did yeah. you do between, when did you move to Toronto? Uh, came here in 71. Okay. So, um, in between, what uh, brought you here? Like, because Montreal's kind of a fun place to hang out. It's a fun place to hang out, but you know, uh, big the big reason why everybody left Montreal around the same time in the early seventies mm-hmm. was that the clubs were all closing down and converting right. to discos. They were taking the stages over and putting a disco booth on there. You know, sure. uh, a uh, what do you call it? Um, DJ or DJ a, booth, yeah, yeah. and uh, turntables, and the bands were being. Turfed out. Yeah. So I remember myself and a bunch of other people ended up in Vancouver, different okay. musicians, and myself, I ended up in Toronto. Mm-hmm. I was going to go to Vancouver, but I stopped here and met some friends. And that's it. That's it. You know, yeah. I, got, I, I stayed here. What, yeah. What made you, what kept you here? Because a lot of people stay here for a bit and then they, then they go back home. Um, good question. I, because mm-hmm. I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was told many times. <laughs> Why are you here? <laughs> Why don't you go to Europe? Why don't you yeah, go to yeah, England? Yeah. You know, um, I uh, and that was based on the on the I guess the songs or material that I worked with, or different different people I played with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was always a lyricist, but the you know all the varying influences that were there were much more European flavor right. than Canadian. But I stayed here, um, I think, because I developed friendships here. Um, I had some good people to play with here. Yeah, you know, uh, I think the intention was always to leave at some point. Yeah, but it still uh, happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you have dual citizenship? Did you keep your passport and everything? Oh no, no, no. I, I'm, uh, I'm a Canadian, but, but you could. I could, yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah, they, 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 they turned around. They offered that to me one time. Mm-hmm. I said, if you'd like, you know, don't mm-hmm. worry about it. Right, I, right. I called them up and I said, I understand that if I'm a Canadian, I have difficulty getting my Dutch passport mm-hmm. said, no 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 just you know if you're ready if you want to go there for an extended period or anything like that just call yeah. us we'll, we'll fix it for you yeah <laughs> okay come on back yeah 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 yeah, yeah. well but, when did you get your um your job job because you it sounded like you're like aloof you're kind of moving around having a fun being yeah. a musician what what brought you into like because there was that time in your life when you go you know i gotta get it together i gotta pull my life together i gotta was that last week or was this like a... My job job? My, yeah, your my, job job. The job that pays for all this? Yes, this beautiful house, yeah. <laughs> my job job started when I was, um, okay, uh, had a couple of things go. Uh, one of the things was when, when Arson first uh, took its vacation. Which was what year? 1980. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 1980, 81, somewhere around there. Yeah, late, late 80s, early 81. Mm-hmm. We just called it a day, mm-hmm. you know. Um, what, what broke the band up? Uh, we got to the point where like we were playing and we did our last 
the last tour we ended up we played New York City. We were there for two and a half weeks. Came back to Toronto, played a few shows, and there was no money. It was just like a lot of debt. Yeah, you know, I know the we, feeling. We self financed the tour, yeah. and 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 self financing meant that the person who was sort of managing and doing some of the things uh, was pouring money into it. And I know the feeling. Yeah, so. We came back, and I think uh, we all decided, well, you know, let's give it a break for a while. So there was no bad blood? There was nobody? No. There. We came back together again to record. Uh, we got to get out of this place for that compilation record. Yeah. And we did the uh, we did the show for them, uh, the showcase at the Larry's, I believe it was. Mm -hmm. You hear the fur Fear version of that song? A which? No. Fear version of We Gotta Get Out of This Place? No. It's pretty good. Yeah? I think it's on the first, is it for the record? Do, 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 do. It's like really fascinating. Ah, okay. yeah, yeah, it's pretty That'd good. Interesting, yeah. So we did that. We um, uh, we kind of did a few shows here and there, and then we, uh, I think Mike went off to do something else. Mike went back to being an electrician for a while. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, Mike Anderson, the Motor X. Yeah, yeah, that was his profession on the side was a electrician. Um, and uh, the other guys went off and did various projects here and there. Uh, mm -hmm. I. I tried to put together another version of Arson towards the end of 1980 just to sort of see what would happen with a keyboard player and stuff like that. And that lasted about three months, and I said, okay, this isn't going to happen anymore. Plus the music so, changed. Everything changed. Oh, everything changed. I mean, to me, yeah. uh, the original punk era died in 1980-81. Mm -hmm. A lot of the guys that were in the, the Tones, the Ugly, all those, you know, Violet Tones, yeah. all those bands were all... In disarray at some point or another, you know, because you didn't want to go into like the power pop, post punk, no, no. keyboards and pop in spiky hair. Or, well, that see, was my favorite music, unfortunately. They, <laughs> yeah, they they didn't. They didn't want to, you know. I mean, for me, it was kind of like <clears throat> I think I was. Um, I went through a very. I went through a phase where I was very disappointed in it all, and mm. I think I think it was because I watched some of my best friends, or friends that I'd worked with and played with get on the drugs and alcohol thing. Oh, yeah. And I didn't. I said, mm -hmm. no, this is not what, what I what I play music for. It's not what you, yeah. You know. You had this thing called work ethic. Yeah. So <laughs> I kept writing songs, you that's know. That's why you had a job. Yeah, you yeah. know, that's, that's the thing. Yeah. So, but anyway, when that happened, just to sort of, uh, I ended up with, with no band, no money, no nothing. So yeah. I spent, uh, spent a little time on the street, spent mm -hmm. a little time sleeping in theaters and friends' floors and, Saying, "Geez, I really don't like this." Yeah. You How know? long did you do that for? Because I didn't think you'd be the kind of guy to do this for a long time. Do that uh, for a long time. Probably a couple of weeks, and then I yeah, just that's said, enough, that's right? It. That's it. I've I've had it. Yeah. You know? So I went back and um, I uh, started working part time, doing things here, odd things here and mm -hmm. there, uh, just so that I could keep money coming in. And the fact was, after the arson tour of New York. We ended up owing the manager roughly fifteen hundred bucks, and nobody else was going to pay it off except me. Mm. So I know the feeling. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we, you know, I, I had to get a job and yeah. pay them back slowly and yeah. get back on my feet again. And um, I think at the same time, I put together different different types of bands. I put together a band called Glamatron, which was ahead of its time. Uh, was what was of, what made it different? Um, very uh, sort of. Um, It was much more electronic, much more synth mm -hmm. focused, and um, it was probably the antithesis of what what uh, mm -hmm. I had been doing before. Yeah, um, was it like and, a tongue in cheek style, or did you really it was, just want to explore that? It, it was uh, it was really funny because I mean, it it 
I thought it would be at time at, at first, and then I thought, no, no, this is actually yeah my lyrics. This is actually how I feel. Yeah, you know, at the time, this, yeah, is, yeah. this is what I'm I'm doing. Well, being a fan of music, <clears throat> you kind of find good stuff in anything, really, and then you get you can embrace it, you know, yeah. and that's it, good. It, it Positive. was it was kind of like um, it was kind of like early Ultravox, right? In, in some ways, you know, the sound was, was sure. sort of like punky new wave. Yeah, you know, yeah, uh, with keyboards and um, it progressed. It was it was it did okay. It's uh, in fact. Um, we're now. Uh, I'm. I'm now talking to a guy about. He wants to re-release. It was. We, we did one vinyl uh, twelve crazy. inch. Yeah, yeah. And he wants to re-release it now because apparently it's selling. It's coming for, back. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 the uh, there's only nine hundred of them made it into the world, right. and they're selling for anywhere from fifty-five to four hundred dollars a piece. That's crazy. So. Yeah. You know. How many you got in your basement up there or down there? None. Oh. Well. I have like I think two copies left. Ooh. Yeah. That's it. So. Um, <laughs> And you know, I mean, I'm I'm glad they're going to do it. They want to redo it with a nice, you know, with a booklet sure. and everything else, and some some uh, live tracks and outtakes. And yeah, thought, yeah. Put together a nice little package and that's very cool. Put it out. Yeah, that's flattering, right? Yeah, it's nice. It's kind yeah. of like okay, hey, hey. I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the whole idea that you've done something, you've put something out to the world, and maybe on the first glance wasn't really picked up or accepted. That somebody has the uh, the I don't know the the gumption or the the fandomness yeah. to, to, to put this together because they like it. Well, it that's was, promising it, in the world. I think that's good for music. Right? It made, yeah, it made it, it made it, it was more successful in Europe actually than it mm-hmm. was here. Yeah. And that's where he's, the, the company is, one yeah. of the guys from the company is based. Yeah. And so they contacted me and they said, uh, would you like to, you know, re-release this? Would you like us? I yeah. said, sure. You know. Do you think that's the power of Facebook where <clears> someone can, you readily found or if someone found you? Because you think about I don't know, 30 years ago when yep. there was no internet. Well, there was email, maybe 20 years ago. But think about 30 years ago when someone said, hey, uh, early 1970s rocker, we like what you do. How do you find that person? You know, yeah. you get yeah. in a car, like you start investigating or you That's, talk to people yeah. and then finally, but here you are on Facebook and I bet you that's the direct yeah. avenue. I mean, I just find, I don't know why my point is really, but I find it interesting that modern technology has made something you did yeah. readily available based on you just being there, your presence. Because yeah, really. no one would ever tip them off, right? Think no. about it, right? It's 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 like it's it's been the uh it's 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 I guess it's been a fortunate that it allows you to reconnect with a lot of things and, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of people come up and say, I have that record, but you know, um we should Look at the values of it, you know. Mm. This, you, so you go to Discogs and you go, oh, fifty-five dollars, four hundred dollars, sure. you know, um, depending on who you buy it from, and you, you turn around, and you go, wow, you know, I, I recorded that in nineteen eighty-one, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it's like people are actually requesting this. People yeah. are calling up and asking for it. I'm thinking, mm-hmm. okay, it's good, you know. Mm. That was. Uh, that was the first foray was Glamatron, and that eventually became another band called Vis-a-Vis. Mm-hmm. And Vis-a-Vis won a Casby for Best Independent Artist one year, was nominated for Most Promising, et cetera, et cetera. What, you, what era is this? What year? Uh, this would be 85-ish. Yeah. yeah. I think Vis-a-Vis is some, the name that I've, I've yeah. heard. CFMY days, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. We yeah. got a lot of airplay. They were very supportive of us. We, had, uh, we released uh, two EPs, and they were like really big on... Chris Shepard actually debuted the second 
mm-hmm. uh, Shadow Play was uh, was debuted on Chris Shepard's. Uh, I remember that show. Dance show, Wasn't yeah. That a Sunday night show. <coughs> thing? Saturday night. Saturday night. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. yeah. I was just thinking about because we're Stephen Wright's coming up to our uh, our theater up there, and I thought there used to be a comedy show. I think it was on Chum FM, Sunday nights. It was called the Sunday Funnies. Yeah. Do you remember it? Yeah. And that's where you heard every alternate comic and things like Sam Kinison and things like that. It was around that era, like mid eighties. Yeah. And that went forever. And I thought that's why I know who Stephen Wright is. Yeah. That's yeah. why I think right. And and or you know because there was big comics back there was big oh, comedy yeah, yeah. right there was In big those things days, yeah. happening. But that was a big show. I used it was a big part of my life. I'm yeah. like eight o'clock. It's time for the Sunday Funnies. That's right. Doctor Demento. Remember that? Yeah. 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 Same idea. It's like wow. There's songs like I've heard now where it's like people are. Are you crazy? Where did you get that song from? Like, exactly. Doctor yeah. Demento. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think what I'm hearing is that you kind of took music and and took punk rock and embraced it for what it was, its values, its cores. Well, I was I was raised. It's really funny because all my the, the various influences I had. I I grew up in the uh, you know, I mean, I grew up in an era, probably the best, to me anyway, the best creative era you could ever have, which mm-hmm. was the 60s, right? Mm-hmm. You know, from from the early, uh, from the mid-60s onward. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got to see Cream. I got to see Jimi Hendrix Experience. Yeah. Uh, I saw The Doors. I saw all the bands I ever wanted to in that, you know, I was in the summer of 67, I was in San Francisco, mm. you know, <laughs> and I got, I was uh, such a, such an amazing exposure to music and taking all those things and taking the, you know, things like the MC5 or the Stooges, which I'd also yeah. seen live, yeah. you know, um, all the garage bands uh, mm. that, that I'd heard, you know, um, that were, that were doing stuff at the time, um, taking all those influences and then throwing in some modern curves yeah and some you know some some lyrics that you know for me it's been a a a, a constant thing that a constant developing yeah thing. so i took the took the one and rode with it for a while uh, i was uh once i stopped being a drummer yeah uh, I, you never stop being a drummer but no I, once course. i stopped playing and, and going to the front more yeah yeah um it became more of a i'm going to attempt to take my poetry and spew it on people <laughs> with with a musical vehicle yeah right? of uh, course. With, with, with music as its vehicle yeah. and that's what i that's what i did um we were never it's funny because we came in at an era and the, the funny thing with marcel and i when we first put this band together we were always more of uh, as jamie vernon once said you know although they were lumped in with the punk category they were always a rock and roll band influenced by the new york dolls the mc5 yeah. the stooges even today yeah. even you know yeah. uh those were the influences that primarily so they were more a rock and roll band than than, than a than punk, punk band rock, per yeah. se yeah yeah but we were in that the scene. time frame yeah. in the scene you know well i think people didn't really call it punk rock when it was punk rock no. they called it rock and roll yeah you know, yeah. call it rock you know yeah. whatever i don't know i don't even know where that where the punk Part came is somebody some history historian will know yep. like some guy invented the have you, have you seen the dewey cox story no there's no. a very funny moment the walk hard dewey cox story where they're playing like country music they're playing really hard and fast he goes faster harder and then <laughs> and the, the guitar player goes we sound like a bunch of punks <laughs> <laughs> it's like they invented the word punk it's a it's a very funny movie i suggest uh 
it goes through all the eras of like walk hard is like it's like the johnny cash story and then it adds some you know um some of like brian wilson and then the 80s and mm -hmm. then it's him like john c Riley at his finest it's one of the one of my favorite movies yeah let's see it it's very good i like the fact that you took your music and you took it what you liked about music that you'd seen and so influenced by different genres mm -hmm. and styles that you kind of made your own little soup of music yeah you know and, and that's where it, that's where it, it continued on i mean with with uh vis-a-vis -vis became another extension of that mm -hmm. um you know and there's there's a that's another whole story altogether it's <laughs> probably going to be re-released too except with a full album with about eight unreleased previously unreleased sure. tracks yeah. that'll be coming out at some point i don't know when but uh it's something i'm also looking into doing uh but that merged into um believe it or not uh then that merged into a, a, a project called matt black which was much more industrial mm -hmm. for me it was much more along the lines of trent Reznor and sure. industry and that would be late 80s mid, yeah. mid to late yeah that would be that would be late 80s early early 90s okay yeah you know and uh we did a little i played with a band called uh, edf electronic dream factory yeah, for yeah, a while heard of that, yeah. and uh and then uh, went off and did the Matt Black project for a while, and we did a couple of recordings. Um, and then I sort of like, I think I kind of took a took a, a a bit of a break. Um, I wasn't I wasn't happy anymore. I wasn't mm -hmm. things weren't weren't happening the way I wanted them to happen. Mm -hmm. You know. And you're working your day job the whole time. I was time. working. Yeah, the day yeah. job happened. Uh, my per, my current day job happened in. Started happening in 1987, actually. Okay. So, yeah. And I got a break. A friend of mine said, you know, uh, if you want to go down, fill out an application, yada, yada, yada. So, the next thing you know, 20 years later, <laughs> you, <laughs> you know, enrolled to the, in basically a government job. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, what was your, was it, has it been the same job? No, no. I started yeah. out in, uh, I started out working um, in the tax department and then eventually, uh, switched over to customs and immigration okay wow okay so you are kind of there and dealing with what, what was your sort of day-to-day -day uh, job and and the, and the b part is how did it it must have been 180 degrees different to being a musician and the c part ooh, look at this it's layered how much better did you feel that you had a different perspective because you had a real job let me tell you uh, how it works okay, okay. it's one of the, it's probably if, if, if you're a musician or, or an artist mm -hmm. it's probably one of the best places to work okay okay because once you get into what you do it's really repetitive mm -hmm. okay? okay it's not there's not a big you know you have to have a certain amount of knowledge you have to have a you know that that goes without saying that's what they pay you for but it's a lot of it is repetitive work sure. so the best part about it is is that you do not very rarely take take work home with you at night mm -hmm. okay so your evenings are freed up your weekends are freed up mm -hmm. if you needed some time off for example you could get some time off you actually get you know uh uh three weeks paid vacation to start with yeah and so it works you, up to whatever it is yeah. what's it now <laughs> um are you at a month I'm eight at, months I'm, <laughs> <laughs> i wish <laughs> That would be the best. Yeah. Um, no, you get up to about five, uh, five weeks, five six weeks yeah. at, at the end. You yeah, know, yeah. and that's with that with like thirty years service. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but um, so uh, I just found that a, a lot. Uh, once you get to know what you're doing, 
Uh, you can start thinking about music and art again. You start thinking about music and art again on yeah. the side, you know, yeah. and, and it's not as difficult to do it. It's not like you're in for a surprise every day. Like mm -hmm. I worked in retail for a while. It was like, what's going to, yeah. <laughs> what hell am I going to face today? You oh, know, what, yeah. what, what people am I going to have to deal with today? Yep. So um, currently I work as an auditor. Okay. So I do audits, you know, desk audits. And uh, it's, it's good. It's, you know, uh, again, it's once you figure out what the process is and, and, and you, I mean, there's a lot of research involved and everything else, but you know, uh, at the end of the day, I come home and I'm able to do what I have to do uh, musically and, and uh, write or shovel snow. Yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> um, in, in April? Exactly, yeah, yeah. That was a freak storm last night. <laughs> Crazy. I was driving home in this last night because you know what happened? Yeah. Marcel, Marcel had, a, had a buddy come in uh, from uh, Vancouver for, I think he stayed for a week. He was a guitarist who taught Marcel's first guitar chord. Oh, wow. uh -huh. So he said, could you come over to the rehearsal factory and play drums for, you know, while we, you know, yeah. jam? And I said, sure. So, you know, I we went there and I like, finished it uh, just after eight. And I got outside and I said, oh my God. It's crazy, eh? Not just that, but driving from Bathurst and Richmond yeah. to here, no salters in sight. No, you're okay? saying that on Facebook. And all these little cars were going, hee, 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 yeah. Hee, yeah. and spinning in front of me, and I'm going, holy shit. Yeah, it's so all happening, yeah. 20 kilometers an hour. That that was what I that was the, the max I could do yeah. behind, you know, in, in the traffic flow. Well, where I am, they had it covered. They had the salters out. They had the you're, snow plows yeah. and... I, you know, in the middle of April, I don't know if you saw, you, I think you did see my posting, it was yeah. Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah. I'm walking at night and it's snowing in my hair and my face. I had to close my, yep. my, my eyes because I had too much snow coming in my face. It yeah, was exactly. Like, this is unbelievable. I bet you they could have opened the ski resorts again. Yeah. They could yeah. have. Yeah. Was, I mean, but, it was just like, it's, it's, it's the, right there. <laughs> my dog loves it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, my but when people are listening to this in, in a balmy July, it's going to be a whole, they won't get the idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So working in the government, is a is something that sounds like the antithesis of being a musician. It's the exact opposite because being a musician, obviously, you're always thinking about writing a song, or you have some song in your head, or you're thinking about a, you have music in your brain. You know, Let me I explain do. this to you. Let me explain something to you here, okay? And, and you know this too, okay? Yeah, yeah. okay. Here you go. Um, yes, I my head. Uh, I have probably written over a thousand pieces. Mm -hmm. Okay. One day I'll put a book of poetry out. My whole theory on this is very simple, okay? There was a time when I was a musician, mm -hmm. not making money, mm -hmm. sleeping on people's floors, uh, asking my friend if I could borrow five bucks for dinner, mm -hmm. um, sort of going, okay, hey, we got a gig, wow, we're getting a hundred bucks, mm -hmm. you know? That hundred bucks meant we got, what, 20 bucks each? Yeah. And that 20 bucks wouldn't even cover my rent, mm -hmm. okay? So uh, I learned something. When I was a starving artist, I was not creative. My brain did not process you're too busy trying to lyrics. What you're, you're too busy trying to survive, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know? That's exactly what it comes down to. People don't realize that, but yeah. starving artists are not happy, yeah. okay? Starving artists are thinking about, where am I gonna sleep tonight? Yeah. Where am I gonna eat tonight? Can I bum a smoke? Yeah, you know, that's what it. That's what it. 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 Uh, a lot of the time came down to. Yeah, you know, and so when I started working, I actually, 
after, like I said, once the routine set in and everything, I actually started getting more creative. Mm-hmm. I found more time to write. Yeah. I was more relaxed. I had a roof over my head. I had food in the fridge. Yeah. You know, I was able to buy a few things. Sure. I was actually able to buy my own equipment without yeah. having to rent it or borrow it. Yeah. You know. And some people revel in that self-deprecation. They revel in the no money. They revel in the fact that. Yeah. But there's some people who feel responsible to society to try and input into society and try and be part of society and that doesn't necessarily you don't need to be a starving artist to no, do that no you don't you know i you just know. watched the amy winehouse documentary and it almost it broke my heart you know here's somebody who made all the money in the world yeah couldn't couldn't keep it together no. why because her life was horrible yeah you know there was no and she had like you ever see her play guitar i didn't know she even played guitar yeah. and here she is writing these great songs, stream of consciousness stuff, and you're listening to it going, this this lady is a genius, was mm-hmm. a genius, and here she is gone. Why? Because she couldn't pull it together. Yeah. And that is, I think, I'm with you on the fact, because I went and got a real job too, Yeah. but it didn't necessarily mean giving up. No. Oh, no, no, no. 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 I never, in fact... In fact, uh, giving up was never even on the on in the uh, in, in in the configuration for mm-hmm. me. It was a matter of okay, I'm going to do this, but cover your bases. I'm going to see what what it, what it happens. I mean, you never know. When you first start out, you go, eh, okay, we'll see what happens. We'll take a chance with it. Yeah. But once the bills got paid off, and once I started realizing I make enough money to buy a guitar. Mm-hmm. you know or i make enough money people are giving me credit to buy those keyboards yeah you know um then you start going wow this mm-hmm. is okay yeah because i can actually become more creative yeah i with, like that look you know yeah you, I, I i i you know uh i was never able to afford some of the things yeah. you know um that i i i had and, and until i started working and mm-hmm. i thought this is great yeah you know i mean it's a different story for some people. Some people feel that they hate music so much that they don't want to do it anymore. So then they go do other things other than music and forget about the part that they liked about music. Yeah. And then they find themselves 30 years have gone by. Oh, I used to play guitar in a band. Yep. Those are the angriest motherfuckers out there. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, the funny thing was for me, it was the exact opposite. For me, it, it was a way to facilitate mm. more creativity. Yeah. And the fact is, when you say repetitive work, is that you you're not entering a conflict of work versus work right. life right so there's a definite divide there so when yep. you go to you can you can even jot down a little piece of uh, something while you're doing something that's mundane and simple yeah. so you you know that is a um that's a neat way to look at it you know because i i have trouble i do that all the time <laughs> he's got one right there <laughs> but that is see i think that's I like that you're right. You're you. It is the perfect job for somebody. Yeah, you because know. you know, I mean, uh, getting into something that's really complex, you, you, the complexity of whatever the, the nature of, of, of takes away. Oh, definitely. You know? But if you if you if you're going to do something and you want to be creative, then just find something mundane. Okay, don't don't worry about the challenges. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, once you get the pattern down, get the pattern down. Yeah, um, stick to something you 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 can work with, and then. Take it to the next, you know. Oh, definitely. You're still able to. You're still able, still able to focus the majority of your uh, mental, you know, train mm-hmm. on. I, I I write songs in my head all day while I'm working. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I write I write lyrics in my head all day yeah. while I'm working. Um, it's it's funny, and I, I'm 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 very fortunate that my wife is extremely supportive of that. You know, mm-hmm. of, of of my 
creative processes and puts up with all my I know nuances the and noise and crap and <laughs> you know my wife too yeah so i'm 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 very very fortunate in that sense yeah. because uh she's uh, you know she's been very supportive from the yeah. from the beginning she's mm -hmm. always known that i was this is what i do this is what yeah. i want to do you that's know a, that's an that's an amazing thing because my thought with going to work say a government job you've just completely dispelled my theory my theory was well you're just giving up it's like wearing track pants yeah you know i just yeah. i don't care i'm gonna wear track pants but you've you've explained it in a way that says no, I've taken something positive out of something that some people might put a you know bullet yeah. in their head for the boredom. Yeah. But you've taken it and then refacilitated your your art and your love and everything is now just coming back in spades because you've laid that rest yep. of like oh, I got to find out how to pay my rent, my mortgage, and this and that, and yeah. all these problems at work. Like my job right now, I'm worried about like whether or not there's a stage plot for the orchestra. Yeah. Like, it's up here right now. I'm yeah. thinking about it. I'm like, get this out of your head, you know. But I do this all the time, like, and I'm getting paid for it, but I work from home sometimes, and I'm, like, yeah. writing emails, and I, I record bands, and I mix things in my house. It's like my work and my life are so intertwined Yeah, that working at York was something that drove me crazy, but at least it was something to do with art. Yeah. But that was my government job, you know. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, but I, I'm so glad they let me go for a year you know because it's like i was going crazy yeah it made me sick yeah but but i like the fact because you've taken something and turned it into positive and that is a very liberating thing to me well, it, it, it is and you know i mean you also realize that as time goes by you you uh, realize that at the, at the end of this uh one of the better aspects of it is the pension Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's not, it's not going to make Look you at Cleve. rich. You Cleve know? is the yeah. same thing. Cleve Anderson is. Exactly. He's posty. Yeah. yeah. He's a posty. And that's what stopped him from keeping in Blue Rodeo. Yeah. And not like Blue Rodeo didn't become something. So you think about the, the empowerment of saying, I'm not going to be in this number one man. I'm just going to yeah. be a postman, you know? You know what happens though? I mean, it's, it's, it's really funny because I realized, I guess, through playing a lot of the shows and being in a number of different bands, I realized that. The money was never really great enough for me to, to be live. able to live comfortably. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, you could probably afford a room or an apartment. You know, yeah, but you'd never be able to afford to really buy a house Something unless like you this. had, this yeah, beautiful some, house. You know, in the, in the beaches, yeah. and 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 uh, and and you know, uh, do the things that. For example, I'm building a studio. You Go know, on holiday. Uh, holiday, going on Think holidays. About that. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> I always work my holidays into working with a band. So I'm going to Vancouver and whatever. So that's my holiday for yeah. three days, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's an amazing, to me, it's exciting because, you know, I, it's a different way of looking at life. Yeah. And yeah. life is short, right? It is. And you know, I mean, you've got to take, you've got to make what you can out of it. I mean, I, I, like I said, I, I, I wouldn't uh, trade what I'm able to do now for being a starving artist, yeah, times over, of course, you know? right. I mean, in a couple of years, I can retire. Uh, should I choose? I can retire and and, uh, and then you can get be a, a musician. get a pension. I can yeah. do music. I can go back to painting. I can go back to sculpting. I can go yeah. back to doing all the things I gave up. You can even go you know? back to work. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but <clears throat> I mean, to me, you know, it's it's important to continually keep the uh, the writing angle going yeah. the processing going yeah know? do you get uh, blocked up sometimes or you do you have dry spells i i go through dry spells but you know what i do it's really funny with dry spells now i accumulate 
Uh, I accumulate okay. ideas. Yeah, I yeah. accumulate pieces of paper, and I go, okay, ah, that's a great line. And mm. I'm, I'm not able to finish the whole thing yet, but... And then one day I'll sit down and I'll go, okay. Oh, I remember that. Okay, yeah. so here's the rest of it. Yeah. Jing, 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 jing. The next thing you know, you know, I get on binges where I've, I sometimes write within a, within a span. I can probably write six to eight pieces. Right. And then I go away for a while. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I constantly want to keep it interesting and fresh. And sometimes I find that if you don't, you kind of get on this little thing where you start writing a lot of similar Oh yes, definitely. You know, yeah. and I'm thinking, okay, I got to pick the best of those sure. similar and throw the rest out. You yeah. know, um, it, it, it's a it's it's a it's a tricky you know, uh, tricky process. Yeah, I think writing songs is the same way too. Like, if you start writing tons of songs, it's because you're inspired. Yeah. But you can't artificially inspire yourself. No. You can stay in tune with how you work. Well, so. I see. You see, like I, I'm, I'm always, uh, I read a lot. I, mm. you know, this is only like a small. I have another bookcase upstairs, and have books all over the house. I, I, I do a lot of reading. I also read, uh, keep up with the news and everything else yeah. on a daily basis to find out what's going on. Those are all influences. Yeah. You know, those are all things that 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 come somehow or another you know you'll read your lyrics later on and go oh i remember that time yeah you know because i'm a horrible lyricist things creep in all the time well (laughs) suck at it (laughs) took me a while to be uh but i i i think it's being uh, comfortable with what you can write it's it's uh it's also like i i find that um a lot of it too is is um who did you grow up with yeah you know as a writer sure as writers I, i i can i can tell you bob dylan Early Bob Dylan still rings yeah. in my head. Yeah. It's, 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 it's the cadence, the beautiful poetry. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's well written, uh, and it's it's in one way it's simple, in another way it's so complex. Yeah, you know, especially if you take uh, the, the first couple of albums. You know, mm. um, bringing it all home and and uh, Highway sixty one. You know, mm. uh, but you, what he's doing is generating feelings. The words are yeah. just subsequential to the feeling that he's making you feel. So if someone wrote a word that could change everybody's opinion of life or how they look at things just Mm -hmm. by five words, I I think a lot of that comes by accident, right? Like you're keying into a a large body of people who think the same but just can't put it together until you give them those words that go... Here's the way to change the world, and it's not that wor- those words. It's, no, that's the message, though. It's the message. Yeah, and the message can be brought on in so many different ways, in so many different forms. Mm-hmm. Um, connecting you, you making the words connect with an audience is what mm. you're essentially trying. And you to can't do. engineer that. People have tried for years yeah. to try and engineer keywords. Like we, believe me, man, in the early 2000s when I was making a push with my band, it was like we need to make words that sound like. <laughs> You know, we need to do this. We need to yeah. wrote for TV. We need to make the song that sounds like Blink-182. That's our yeah. theme song. It's like, yeah. why does that's it always what... have to try and sound like something else? Exactly. Like, okay, let's see, reinvent something. It's tough to reinvent. That's what, That's what. and that's what happened when, when, when Arson first folded. I said, no, I'm going to redo this. Mm. I'm going to change this around full degree. Mm. I had black spiky hair, mm-hmm. and I went completely blonde. Mm-hmm. With a you know a whole different style, yeah. Uh, the music took on a whole different element. The music took on an element of more of a 
what some writers described as a isolation, European isolation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and the music took on a tone of, like I said, early Ultravox. Uh, uh, I wrote most of the stuff with uh, with the guitarist, another guitarist I worked with. Mm-hmm. And um, we brought in a keyboard player. I did some of the drums. We brought in the various drummers as well. Sure. And, you know, um, but the EP itself... Uh, was called only the heartbeats inside the silence Mm -hmm. and uh it was a complete like i said a complete turnaround and and i decided uh it was there was a very strange sort of thing that went on with it we uh we never made mention of anything to anybody Mm -hmm. okay nobody knew that the singer for arson was now putting a band together we kept it all quiet uh, I changed my character completely, my pers- my personal character, mm-hmm. um, and we kept everything quiet. And the first show was announced at the Domino Club, mm-hmm. and we had the promoter. Uh, it was Bill from Cadillac Walk was a promoter for that show, and he said, "We're not going to say anything. We're not going to say who you are, where you're from, or anything. It's all hush hush." So we got to the show, and of course, everybody thought we were European. Mm. They thought we're, we're on a Europe, we're on a North American tour, European yeah, yeah, band, yeah. right? Yeah. Jeannie Becker from uh, Fashion, City, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, at that time, much music, yeah, um, uh, was or uh, the New Music Show, That's yeah, right, yeah, and the New Music Show uh, was at the thing, and she wanted to do an interview. So, her and her cameraman came up behind us. And I said, "Oh no, we're not doing anything like this." Yeah. <laughs> we went running up the stairs. The gig is up. <laughs> they came. They came running after us, and they chased us through through the building until we got to a room. We closed the door, and they said, oh, "Okay, so we're not going to get anything." They actually showed the footage on the new music oh, of funny. Jeannie Becker and the cameraman chasing us up the stairs at the Domino Club. That's hilarious. Yeah, it was. It was really funny. Yeah. And uh, they never got the interview, but it was all that kind of we, we were trying to keep that mus- yeah. that mystique sort of. You know, mm-hmm. you're not gonna you're not gonna speak to us. We're not gonna yeah. speak to you. We're just enjoy the show and yeah. and we're out of here. That's a uh, it's tough to do now. Yeah. Because everybody's knows everything about everybody now. Exactly. And um. I, the funniest story about that is that the Chris Gaines story. You heard that one with Garth Brooks, where he started his own alter ego, which was like a pop singer. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And he put yeah. a wig on, <laughs> and it looked just like a pop singer, but it was Garth Brooks with a wig. Yep. And but then nobody was getting into the Chris Gaines thing; it wasn't selling. <laughs> so they're like, "It's really Garth Brooks," and they're like, "Oh!" And it was a complete an opposite. Like, "Oh God, really? Who cares?" Yeah. But the um the, the the same idea there. He's trying to trying to do something, trying to have a spoof, but it was too spoofy, and, and the I'll music you, didn't catch on. But I'll bet you what's going to happen now is going to be a collector's item. Oh yeah, well you can <laughs> you still know? find pictures of Chris Gaines out there. Yeah, and now you look at it and go, yeah, that was Garth Brooks. Like you know, I don't know how yeah. anybody wouldn't have figured it out. Yep. But I think it was too much of a mystery and too much of an Easter egg for people to figure out. Yeah. And had it happen maybe tomorrow be a different story because there's all the rumors and the people in the yeah. internet and everything kind of escalates and goes viral and then people yeah. realize you know so he's probably 15 years too early yeah on the spoof yeah <laughs> that's a, that's that's the way it usually is yeah yeah uh, so, so so you went through what the 2000s and you were kind of taking a break or were you doing music and well, you know what happened well, marcel and i got together again around um I guess we, we, we sort of ran into each other on and off over the years, right? Mm-hmm. And we say, oh, what are you doing? Oh, you know. And we get together and sort of, you know, talk and talk about putting something together again. And 
um, I think it was around 1999, we actually got together. Uh, I was in a house on um, on Pape, uh, Pape and O'Connor. Oh yeah, and uh, and and he would come over, and he had this little beatbox and a, and a tape recorder, and he'd come over and play guitar, and I'd I'd had these lyrics, you know, that we put together. So we about eight or nine songs we put together. <clears throat> and um, believe it or not, some of them are still going to at some point appear, I guess, on an, on an arson uh, an arson project. But they're not really arson, arson-esque type songs. Sure. They're a little, a little more experimental, so to speak. And that's what we were doing at the time. Uh, Marcel and I were experimenting with lyrics, experimenting with, uh, with uh, guitar tones and things. So sure. um, we got together, we did that, and then uh, 9-11 happened, and around the same time, Marcel and his uh, girlfriend moved out to Vancouver because she got a position out there. Okay. Just started doing something, and... <laughs> He yeah. takes off again, right? Yeah. And he took he was gone for about uh, eight eight nine years, mm-hmm. and so he comes back. I think it was two thousand ten, spring of two thousand ten. He came back in two thousand nine. In two thousand ten, the spring, somebody said, "Oh, uh, have you seen Marcel?" And I said, "No." Uh, so somebody gave me a number, and we got in touch. We talked. We said, "Hey, so <laughs> when's Jam?" <laughs> yeah. And uh, by October of, uh, I guess October 2010, we put together the first show for um, the revamped arson. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's funny because we were the original, two original guys, and three of the other people that were in the last version of the band are all gone now. Mm. You know, uh, the bass player, the guitarist, and the drummer have all died. Right. So we were the sort of cornerstone and put it back together again and it was uh yeah you know it's kind of strange at first going out and playing again but it's been fun yeah you know it's been going on since then yeah right? yeah now we're uh we're heading into uh six years marcel and i were just noticing that last night sort of oh it's almost six years and he says what i know crazy <laughs> eh? yeah when did we record that was 2012 12 or 11 yeah yeah, yeah 2012 yeah yeah, yeah, yeah I, remember I remember that, that. That's fun. That was a fun album. Yeah. It's still out there, right? Oh, yeah. Can you yeah. pick it up on digital? Or is it... Has still to be... available on digital, yeah. Okay. I, 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 iTunes? I, and I've got the... Uh, we've got the CDs here. Yeah. You know, so... Uh, yeah. iTunes has it. Uh, I think Amazon carries it for a What's while. What's the name of the record? What's... What's the name of the record? What's it called? Oh, uh... <laughs> <laughs> you don't remember? Not Always About You. Not Always About You. That's yeah, right. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Well, we recorded that album. I recorded it with you. Um, I've talked about this with Sutton because Sutton was on the show a couple of weeks yeah. ago, and we talk about the fact that how David played the, all the drums, two days worth of drums, in about six hours. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of work for me because there was a lot of extra stuff being added to the recording that, in the end, made sense. Mm-hmm. There was a bigger picture that I couldn't understand, and once I caught the bigger picture, I didn't. I had to finish it before I got the big picture. Yeah, there's a very rare time in my life that I've been. What does this all mean, and how is this all going to fit together? And there's some un- trepidation on my point. Like, is this going to work? Well, we had a lot of. We had a lot of. You know, uh, it, it was it was very strange for us too because we had it all planned out to do it with the four of us, right? Mm-hmm. 
And then we ended up getting an extra body in there. Oh, that's, yeah. Who's which he? we, uh, it was okay. I mean, you know, but it wasn't planned on. Sure. It just sort of like, let me tag along. And the next thing you know, oh, you're playing? Oh, he's in the you band know? now. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of threw a twist into it and also threw a lot of tension into it because I know John, you know, um, John wasn't all that happy with it. Uh, I think there was certain trepidation among, with all of us right. over the way it was handled. He was insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're not going to mention names, are we? No, no. Okay. He was insane. Yeah. And, uh, and he remember he kept saying, don't erase that. And I yeah. finally turned around to him going, why are you yelling at me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was there. It's yeah. like, holy crap. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know? Uh, <laughs> so, I mean. I think I handled it pretty good. Yeah, yeah, you did. <laughs> okay. Um, we won't go into the issues of him staying here and yeah. all how, yeah. uh, all the crap that happened over that. Yeah. But anyway, um, it was uh, it, that kind of created a sort of a, a kind of tension that we weren't really prepared for. And it was it was supposed to be a, a celebration of songs that yes. were written years before, and it kind of had a. I felt the whole sort of there was a little bit of obviously tension between yeah. everybody. But once that person went back to where he was going to go, it seemed like things kind of fell into place. Oh yeah, things were a lot. Things became yeah. a lot more yeah. focused at that point. Yeah, you know? and, and it's probably one of your first times doing what's like we're doing a record. We do a lot of it recording, and then all of a sudden it changes to Sutton's doing some overdubs. You're doing some overdubs. Then we used your parents' old house yeah, for vocals yeah, and guitars, yeah. and then I think I got pneumonia in the middle of that too. Yeah, yeah. So I took some time off. And then mixing it because it was a whole different thing for you guys because yeah. you're used to being in the room and arguing about the mix and now you yep. can't do that and it got cut out of that. But but I think overall, that is probably one of the best recordings I ever did. And oh yeah, I mean we, awesome, we, we you know? there's no uh, you know I mean I think I think the only thing that we found that that I my only issue was that uh, I would would have liked to have had more time. Yeah, more because I did I did most of the. Uh, I did all the vocals in one day, essentially. That's right. I did a couple the drums of were done in six hours. Everything yeah. there was a lot of um, fixing. Yeah, a lot of uh, repairing and and trying to fix and repair. Yeah. And there was a lot of guitar tracks. Yeah, and I remember a lot I, of guitar tracks. That that was that was the biggest. You know, that was the biggest. Uh, you could take one song and mix it three different ways. Yeah, yeah, and it would sound like three different songs. Exactly. Yeah, and that was to me the problem because when I'm recording. I like to have like a set, uh, like, oh, this is the way the song's going. Yeah. It's the way it's going to be. And, but but at the end of it all, it is mind expanding because when someone says, but what, what if we, and it, it's something you don't want to hear, but when you do it, you're like, oh, this is big picture stuff that I'm not getting that yeah. I need to learn. And now I've become more accepting on people's input to it because it's to me, it's like, well, there's no wrong way. Well, we 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 were. Yeah, I mean, Marcel and I were. While this whole mixing thing was going, on, we were talking every night. It was like, okay, what? Well, well, mm. Can I? Can we fix that? And then, and, and you know, I'd, I'd really like to, you know. Mm. But I mean, time constraints were sure. were, were major for us. And, and like, um, I there were certain things that I just said, no, I'd really like to do those vocals again. But you know, uh, it all in the end, the end product was. You know, it worked. It came out, and and uh, it uh, it sounded really good. Mm. You know, I was I was pleased with it. I mean, yeah. it, like I I am the one who hears the nuances in the vocals. You know, yeah, more yeah, than anything I, I else. Hear recordings and I go, that I, yeah. you know, yeah, I hear recordings that I played on twenty years ago that I'm like, oh, one yeah. part comes every time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nuts. But, but you have to step away from it. Yeah, and listen to it like a fan. You that's can't right. listen to it like a you're in the band. No, you get you know, and when you hear something new that you recorded. 
in the mix that you didn't hear before, yeah. you're on to something. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? You're yeah. on to something. And I do. I listen to things like, wow, that's kind of neat. We didn't even go out of our way to make things weird and no, no. dynamic, but there's things I hear nuances when I hear how it all fits together. Yeah. It's like, oh, wow, this is very cool. And I'm really, I'm really glad to be uh, to work on it because it did expand my mind to the fact to say that there's more than one way to yeah. skin a fish. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no wrong way. No. And because someone wants to do it, I know that there was issues because if someone said, I needed to do this, then I have to peel the orange or the onion yeah. back five layers, yeah. rebuild that part of the onion, and then bring it all back again. Oh, yeah. yeah. And what it taught me in later on is how to now structure that type of process. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so I learned a new and exciting way to make that part easier. Well, that's it, you know, and that know. and that's and that makes that that that's to me. It's always a learning process, right? The whole mm. the whole thing is you a don't learning learn. Process. You always learn, right? Yeah. You always learn in this yeah. thing, you know, and and you don't have the whole trick is to not come away with it where everybody isn't happy. No, that's the, I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I I I was uh, I I was there was a certain amount of trepidation I had because I I was trying like John's parts. I thought, oh yeah, okay, he's going to go and do some overdubs. And I thought, oh boy, okay, mm. but you know something what he did just blew me away yeah i mean he, he i i said to him john you're an incredible bass player no yeah you really are you have like this the way that he structured the bass parts for those songs yep. when, he, when he took them away he took his time and listened to them and he created mm. these incredible parts that just mm. ride through the entire song but at the same time are very creative mm -hmm. very innovative it's mm -hmm. not like he's doing, 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 doing. No, yep. John's playing. He's yeah. actually playing the bass yeah. like a guitar, mm -hmm. almost. You know, yeah. And it, 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 that, and and uh, he's feeling it. He's not playing oh, yeah. his parts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's he was like I thought that you know that was one of the best. Uh, I think when I when I heard the bass tracks, I thought it was one of the best moments for me. It was like wow, it's gonna work. It's gonna work. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and my my fight was to keep that always heard, and not bury it full of oh yeah because yeah. i was resistant on a lot of overdubs and i think i put my dug my heels in on a few times that no we can't just keep doing this for the sake of doing it we need to listen to the yep. song otherwise you know and so we all had our own little fight in the our, our own little you know yep. thumb in the pudding and it's like we need to do this and here's my fight my fight is for the rhythm section yeah marcel's fights for the guitars yeah and you're fighting for the vocals yeah and then for some reason we all got together and made that work and i oh, think yeah. That's almost like a science experiment for sociology, it, you know, for people, a social experiment where, it people, was, yeah. you know, where people work at different skill sets, yep. also at different generations, yeah. you know, so. The, 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 the thing I think, I think uh, the only thing I think that, that was kind of a bit of a, you know, bibla in there was having the other guitarists in there who contributed you know, some some ideas were good, but mm. a lot of it was like, I just want to be on this record. You yeah. know, and there wasn't enough repetition. No, yeah, and there wasn't enough. I mean, let's put it this way: Marcel was showing him all the parts. Yeah, because we wrote the songs. Right, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, certain we we wrote them months beforehand, and 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 they were written in a certain way, and we processed them in a certain way. Sure. And when somebody comes into a rehearsal room and says, I think we should try this. Mm. Uh, no, that's not the way we, mm. you know, that's not the way it's going to, I mean. Like when some young 40-year-old guy comes in and starts playing keyboards. And yeah. Thing, like yeah. that guy? Yeah. Wait, that was me. Oh, yeah. No. You know what? <laughs> you know what? I, 
I'm a big I, I'm a big fan of keyboards. Trust me. Okay. Yeah. I I got uh, booted out of your band, Rude. I said I said I said <laughs> hey, this wasn't my fault. Believe me. <laughs> I said to Marcel, um, and I'm still looking. I want a keyboard player. Yeah. Uh, you know, for this band. I'm here, man. I got my I keys. Just, like, and, you know, <laughs> I want a keyboard player for this band because I think it adds a whole different dimension. Yeah. To it, you know. Yeah. I mean, when I listen to that, not always about you. That. Yeah. That was made for a fucking. Oh yeah. You know, Definitely. piano. Okay. Yeah. You got to remember, I my background when it comes to these things, I loved. Uh, oh, what's the guy's name now? Small faces keyboard player. Um, oh, I don't know. He uh, he just passed last year or something. And uh, anyway, played with Small Faces and Rod Stewart. Yeah. That sort of piano was like so. You know. Yeah. Just. Him and um, the guy that played in the second version of the Jeff Beck group. Oh, with, name uh, I With, um, oh, I forget his name now too. He he passed last year. But they play this piano that is so, it's there. Mm. But it's a rock and roll oh, yeah, piano, yeah, yeah, okay? Yeah. It's right there. It's, it's barrel house rock, blues, all mishmashed in. But it's yeah. very, it's a very prominent sound. And it really... Yeah. rounds everything out beautifully. There's a, a visual ethic that that's really hard to recreate on stage at Lee's Palace. Yeah. You know, or you're, you're standing in the corner and you're kind of trying to get yep, that. I remember and, that. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know what? I didn't think that show was too bad. No, yeah, I no, I didn't think it was one bad practice, at all. We did all right. Max Middleton, that was the guy who oh, played okay, the Jeff yeah, Beck yeah. group. Yeah. 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 One one practice and, you know, we played. I played, I think I played about 50-50 guitar and, uh, yeah. but, um, <laughs> no, I th I thought it was you know there was no real I wasn't really asked to leave the band no but I was uh, not asked back I and, and and like I said don't don't uh, it wasn't my decision oh uh, losers Marcel I'm I'm, I'm, I'm uh, I, I I I like the sound I I, sure. I and I also you know the funny thing with me is okay I'm a guy like I like to get together and play with mm. the guys okay yeah I. With 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 Marcel and John on their schedule, and with it's David on his schedule, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we we yeah. we had we did this. Uh, we played we played a show in November, okay, uh, at Cherry Cola, and I think David wasn't on that. I think we played with with Cleve mm. on drums for that, and we didn't play again until this past Saturday. We right. had one, we had one rehearsal in between. That was a week ago. I don't like that. Right. <laughs> I'm the kind of guy I want yeah. to get together with the boys once a week. Yeah, okay. There's a thing. To I want. I want. I want the camaraderie. I yeah. want to sit down and I want to get creative with everybody. Yeah. Okay. And you don't do that when you you know you just okay. Well, we know the song, so let's just get together for once a quick rehearsal. Yeah. You know what? I'm with you. I'm and with I, you, but I, I just there's no time. And yeah. There's no time. And it's 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 all to me. That's your creative space. Okay. That's yeah. when you get together and. Hey, let's try that riff. You okay? Try a different way. Let's see to, to, what we can do with that. Yeah. Can, can you can you bring that keyboard up a little bit? I really want to hear what you're playing. Yeah. You know, or can you uh, mm. play? You know, off that other guitar riff. Just just let you play yeah. one riff and 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 you and play so, the offside. Sometimes of it. things just happen like naturally, where oh yeah, where the bass player will stop playing for a second, and then you go, wait, that's amazing, stop there for a second because that's what makes the song better. Or something. that's that's how the original band was. The yeah, original yeah. band used to rehearse two, three nights a week. Yeah, you know, yeah, uh, back in the seventies, we mm. had we had a rehearsal space. We would get together at least at least two or three nights a week. I bet you, and I know who still does that. Anvil. Yeah. Still. 
because we shared a room. We we were shared a rehearsal like next door. They were our neighbors. Yeah, yeah. Every night. Wow. They'd be doing something. But you know, it's it's amazing. every night. Yeah, but to, to me, it's not. There is no repetition there. It's no, an but you're endless learning how to creative work, cycle. Right? Yes, it's an yeah. endless creative cycle. You develop the camaraderie. You develop like a. It's it's the friendship. It's the melding of styles. It's taking a song and saying, "How can we make this a better song? How can mm. we how can we take this take parts away, add parts to sure. it? But let's let's see, let's try a few different things. Sure, There's and a that's way though, how you know. Yeah, that's how I used to develop a lot of the yeah. songs. Sometimes Just, you need to you lock know? it down, though. You yeah. know what I mean? Oh like, yeah, because yeah. you can change it for the sake of changing it. And the, then, you, you know. I, I think I think you always have the. I think you always keep the. If it's a song that's already written, you keep the body. Yeah. But you find out where you can, you know, make it a little more interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And that's no, that's that's that's, that's the that's that's yeah. my way of thinking. It was like the uh, that harmonica in, uh, in "Not Always About You." Mm-hmm. It was raw. Mm-hmm. It was unrehearsed. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, when we went to that house, that was the first time I ever did that. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. So and now it's part of the song. Now that's you go on. You know. Now it's on, that on, and on the stage. Board. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you the ironing board? Yes, I yeah, do. That was my stupid idea. But I think I was high on like cough medicine because I was <laughs> I had pneumonia for like 20 days oh, or something. Yeah. That's what put the recording on hold because I was sick. I was real sick. Yeah. But the, um, <laughs> yeah, ding, there's this little, nah. the, nah, but I really find it interesting that um, someone can love music for the sake of loving it and not have like a bad... Uh, well, they have their bad parts of music, but they can't let they don't let it in become who they are. No, and no. you're 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 the you're the epitome of um, I don't know positivity when it comes to music. Going from you know from the kids to living on the street, possibly then going to into getting a job and then still playing music. It's uh, I think you know um, something. Somebody once once mentioned this to me. It's it's. It's a gift. Mm. I realized when I started playing drums, uh, I gave myself a timeline. I said, well, I'm going to buy a kit and see what happens. Mm. Within a year, I was playing in a band. Yeah. And that was my um, self-taught. You know? Yeah, it's not by accident. So it wasn't by accident. It mm. was like the gift. Um, when I started working with electronics in the uh, in the early 70s, I, I had a series of I had an original Moog. Uh, yeah. I, I had an ARP. I had all the... The toys and uh, Cynthia AKS from England, you know the little suitcase model that yeah. Brian, you know, used to yeah. use. I had access to all that stuff, and 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 I just, I'm an ear person. Mm. I, I hear right, and I, I would just create these little patterns, little things, you know. Yeah. Glamatron was my band where I actually got to play mm. synths. Uh, I did synth- uh, synthesizers. I played, uh, I, I did vocals, played synthesizers, timbales, drums. A whole bunch of different, you know, yeah. uh, uh, instruments, and I got to experiment a lot more with with uh, synthesizers. Yeah, and it was great. I loved yeah. it, you know, because again, it was something that I figured out where the notes were, and I just said, okay, this is what this is how it's going to go, and the rest of the band would go, okay, that's yeah. we'll we'll work around that, you know, and it was it was a whole creative process. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a thing. With me, is it, it? It's always been. Um, it, it's a gift, but it's always been a fascinating thing to be able to create. Not everybody has that. You yeah. Know? I mean, there, there there are people who who would love to do it, 
but just don't have the the natural feel. Like I see drummers sometimes that I I know they're not natural drummers. You know, oh, yeah. it's like yeah, definitely. Okay. Yep. Yep. You know, and then I see other guys who just like the fuck. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean. Uh, Growing up, for me, my, my drummers, uh, my mentors were people like Ginger Baker, Keith Moon, and yeah. John Bonham, you yeah. know, um, loud, bold drummers. And I played like them. I, mm -hmm. I, I never needed miking on my, yeah. on my drum kit, you know. Yeah. Um, but again, it's, uh, it's something that I think if you, if, if you play or if, you're, if, you're, if you have a natural affinity for playing, it becomes a lot easier. You... you you never lose the gift. Right. I think that the pure fascination of, for me, is when you think something in your head and you put your hands to a fretboard, strum a chord, and it becomes a, a version of what you thought up. Yep. That is the magic of creating. And a lot of, right. a lot of people don't really consider that as saying, well, and of course you play music. Yeah. Say, but I just thought words and music up in my head. I put it to this, and I know the chords, and I figured it out until my head told me the right chord. Yeah, that's witch. That's witchcraft. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. it's magic. <laughs> yeah. It is, and so that that totally. part is the an interesting part of of being being able to do that. And once you discover how to do that, is like people who guitar solo when they can hear the solo in their head while they're playing the yeah. solo, also magic. Yeah, you know that yeah. also the magic of making it's, music. It's, it's all those eureka moments. It's that not you, muscle memory. You know, you you know, know what I mean? You've no. come up to things, and a lot of people say with solos, I take myself like sax players. Like I take myself in a place I don't want to be, and then yeah. I try to get back. Yeah, and that's how you yeah. get great solos. Oh yeah, yeah. And and that is, I mean, that's. It's funny because if you listen to, um, if you listen to the early players like John Coltrane and Miles Davis, if you saw them play live, and I had the privilege of seeing both. If you saw them play live, they would go into their own space. Mm. The audience was not there anymore. No, no. Okay? Yeah, yeah. The audience was like, it, it transcended the audience. Yeah. They would go off on a, on, 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 on a, a whole, you know, uh, spatial yeah. oral assault, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it was like, I don't give a shit what you people think. I'm going to just yeah. dream. I'm yeah. going to dream and I'm going to play and I'm going to make my magic and you like it or you don't like you it. You can hang out or not. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm. And Miles Davis was the same way. Yeah. Miles Davis said, listen, this is how I play it. You don't like it? Yeah, there's a door. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, there's a certain rel um, understanding about that with, with music in general is that if you do it because you love to do it, there really shouldn't be a re any other reason why. No. And that, you know, when people are financially driven, it's only because they've got a taste of where the money is. Yeah. And once they find out where the money is, they're always chasing down that dollar bill yeah. to try and make a hit to make themselves more and more of that money stuff. And you know what happens? Uh, There's no, the creativity gets superimposed mm -hmm. with, I got to write another song like that one. Yeah. Because that was the one that made me some money. Sure. So I got to write another one identical. And you know, mm. I've known record producers and managers who come up to me when I was, when Shadowplay was getting a lot of airplay on CFNY for a while, and we had the video on much music at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, and they would be coming up to me and they would say, you gotta write another Shadowplay. Mm. You gotta write another you one like that. that. You know? <laughs> and it's like, why? Yeah. That's done. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, that's done. Yeah. It's time to move on to something else. Mm -hmm. And maybe get something in a similar creative mode, but you're not going to get another one like that. No, no, you know? that's what makes things interesting is when 
uh, I don't know, a band like No Doubt. Yeah. They put out three or four different types of albums, and yeah. their most popular one was the one that went out the weirdest. Yeah. You know, uh, because they had a gentle balance of hit songs and and then, you know, weird songs. Like Prince produced a song yeah. that is the weirdest song you've ever heard. But they have songs on there that you're like, well, that's nothing like the albums you've done before, and it's nothing like the albums you're going to do. Exactly. So the idea that they've reinvented themselves, but they still have that essence of the band. There's a core. There's mm -hmm. a sort of a, you know, a, a, the, the sniff of what they used to be, and then there's a sniff of what's coming. Uh, Radiohead, another band, completely. Yeah. But they kind of went a little bit too far. You know, yeah, kid they, A, kid B, you know? Yeah, they, they kind I bet of people like, are saying, write another creep, like, right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Please. yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, you know, I mean, it, it's funny because you get to the point where, like, you wonder, uh, you, you, you can take your fan base with you mm. so far, but you wonder when it becomes, there's a fine line between self-indulgence. Yes, and, you know, exactly, and, right in my mind. You know, yeah. uh creative the yeah. creative process becoming something that's so self-indulgent that you can't you're losing that. everyone but you can't engineer no. that either because no. you could you could be just ostracized for writing the same song again yeah because people like look at bands like a nickelback and say why are you writing that same song oh it's yeah same yeah. chords yeah and then you can be ostracized for doing kid a yeah in a way well, that was a pretty popular album for him I'm, I'm not gonna lie yeah. But that, but there's certain situations. I didn't. I stopped listening to Radiohead yeah. after the Benz. You know. I mean? think. Uh, I think. Yeah. I. I. I uh, what was the last one I got? It was the one with all the funny little colored things on the front cover. Oh, because see, that's what Rainbow that, or something. Yeah. yeah, I tuned yeah. Out. I'm, and, and and I listened to it once, and it was yeah. like. Uh, Even the new Dave, what do you think of the new David Bowie? Uh, Dark Star. I on 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 my own personal yeah. take of that. Um, I knew that was kind of coming. I kind of, yeah. I kind of, yeah. We knew because gonna... because I I um, followed my very first experience with Bowie was 1969. Sure. Okay. I had friends who were bringing over uh, stuff from Europe. Yeah. And they brought back the first Bowie album and put it on the turntable. And it never left my house again. I was, yeah. I was yeah, living in yeah. Montreal all the time. Yeah. And so for me, everything he's ever done has always been like I'm looking forward to what. You know mm -hmm. what he's going to do next. So anything he does is not wrong. No, as far as I as far as I, I was concerned, I uh, I was kind of. It's really funny because I first heard "Low," right, mm -hmm. and I went, "Oh, okay, where is this going?" You know, yeah. because I because I I I I mean, station to station, all that other stuff that preceded Diamond Dogs. Yeah, yeah. I thought the lyrics. We're all, you know, and then he comes, then, then, then came low and, and it was kind of like, yeah. wow, this is very different, right. you know? And, uh, again, followed by heroes and, yeah. and lodger and all of those were kind of like in their own, you know, and then scary monsters yeah, and scary monsters came a little bit back to form with a couple of, you know. Uh, ashes to ashes. It seemed a little more, you know, falling Same, back yeah. into, yeah. And um, it's funny. Uh, I I just like, I got used to this kind of like, what are we on next? I The only time I, I don't think I, I, I kind of like uh, wasn't really enjoying it all that much was uh, the Let's Dance period. A modern Love. Modern Love. Yeah, it's yeah. funny because that's what Not I... Not my cup of tea, yeah. you know, and, and, yeah. and even, even David himself said, yeah, I had to make money. Yeah. That was it. He yeah. said, that's the only reason I did that. Yeah. I had to make money. Yeah. 
you know. I, I like that album. And it was the know. biggest. It was the biggest tour. Yeah, it's and, biggest album, really. Yeah, biggest album, it, yeah. and 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 from think, you know from yeah. that point on, he was yeah. able to do what he wanted to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny he did the most commercially successful album to be able to then carry himself for the next thirty years. That's right. Which yeah. was anything he wanted. I mean, Dark Star. I listen to it, and I hear there's here's I hear sniffs. Yeah. Of Bowie that I heard I've heard before. Yeah. What's your thoughts? Do you think do you think he ta- um he he did the dying with dignity? Do you think he is his, do you think it was a big coincidence that he died the day after or before his uh, video came out? Well, that's uh it's it's funny because I I think that he uh I I you can never plan anything like this, right? Mm. You, you don't plan your death. I mean, it, it's Well, some people do. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I don't think I don't think he really planned that because you think? the the Monday before, mm-hmm. the Monday before the um that same week, he called Tony Visconti up and said, "I got five new demos for you." Yeah. And Visconti was really excited, and and, and he was and, like, "Let's do this." Well, they had a conversation, yeah. and apparently, because I I went to the Holy Holy show after the, the Bowie passed here, yeah. And Tony was talking about this on stage and saying, you know, we were working, we were going to work on another album. Mm. We have enough tracks plus new tracks that, uh, you know, we were thinking about doing another album before he passed. Mm. And then, it, I don't know if it was an irony, you know, that right. it, just, it just happened when it happened. Right. Because I don't think, I, I think although he, he kind of knew he was, you know. He was going. He yeah. was going. Yeah. I don't think he knew when exactly. Yeah, you know, it makes me think that it just takes somebody to walk away for the, you know what I mean, and you know, yeah, I, you know, personally, if he did, man, no one wants to be riddled with cancer and, no. and dying and being pain because we've seen it, right? We've yeah. had friends, oh you yeah, know what I mean, yeah. So there's there's the whole, you know, whatever the the idea saying, well, that's it, you know, you're you're gonna go, yeah, you might as well do it on your own terms. There's yeah. no there's no um. No one wrote that book. If you know there's no return. Unless there's something that you could possibly do that could change society forever. But you will never know. See, that's the other side of it. You'll never know, right? Exactly. You know, a lot of people said, put it this way with David Bowie, whether he did or not, and said, uh, you can look, people will look back like a thousand years from now and saying, there was this guy, David Bowie. He made music that changed the world. Oh, yeah. And you can be proud enough to say you lived in the same time as that person. Exactly. Because he was way completely out of everybody's oh, yeah. when it came to music and he just found something that talk about keying into a, a whatever a, a, a core or a psyche of people yeah. he was thinking what people were thinking before they were thinking it exactly. and then they were putting and he put this music out and would people be touched by it any age group yep modern love is when i got into bowie and i was 14 and then i went back and listened to like you know ziggy yep. and listened to all that stuff and went this guy's a genius. You know, yeah. He changes his voice. Who does that? I go back to, like I said, I go back to the first, you know, the first couple yeah. of albums, and then, and then I, my first uh, um, time I saw him live was um, the uh, Diamond Dogs tour in 1974, yeah. Yeah. and then I saw the Young Americans tour. I saw the uh, Station to Station, mm. uh, basically almost every tour yeah. up until uh, up until the the Millennium. Yeah, uh, I had seen, you know, and. Um, I never, you know, it was always, it was always something that it was always like, yes, I have to go. Mm. There's, there's no question about this. Yeah. And, um, so people follow Peter Gabriel like that. They'll yeah. walk off the cliff for him. And he, I think he challenges his listeners. Oh yeah. Like, check this out. Do you like this? It's bleeps and blops. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. I love it. It's almost like he's fucking with them. Right. <laughs> I remember, I, I remember the very first solo album. It was like Salisbury Hill. Yeah. Yeah. All the songs and people went going, 
holy yeah. fuck, this isn't Genesis. No, I know. You know, and it, but it I was, love it. It was I loved it. I mean, yeah. it was an incredible album. Yeah, you know. Um, I got into so so bad last year again. I re I re rediscovered so. Oh yeah, and that album. I don't know. That album is amazing. Yeah, it is. It's got. Let's talk yeah. about everything. It's got weird, challenging music, <clears throat> yeah. and then it's got Sledgehammer. Yeah, you know, and that is. That, oh my god, that album is so good. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah, oh. I, I, that, that brings back a, a lot of uh, a lot of good memories. Listen yeah, to that. it's still timeless. Like listen to it now. The drums sound like drums. Uh, they're played by a human. And later on, I found out that was one take. Yeah, Sledgehammer, first take. There was a couple of first takes on that album by the same drummer. All one takes. Yeah, like, you know that's yeah. it's that that is an incredible <laughs> album. I like. There's stories where uh, Peter Gabel got locked in um, uh, locked in the barn that he was in. And uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Lanois. Yeah, he yeah. put a piece of board up and he's go write some lyrics. And, yeah. he, and he locked him in there, yeah, and he was yeah. for the whole day, and he was, couldn't get out, and he almost got fired. Like, <laughs> yeah, I love that album. You know, I was reading yesterday about um, the song Five Years" off the Ziggy Stardust album, mm -hmm. and the engineer was talking about it and saying that uh, Bowie was doing that song, and he was literally crying through, really? through it, bawling his eyes out. Yeah, and uh, the emotion was so raw and yeah. so complete and yet he said he did that song on key didn't miss a note yeah. one take yeah and he yeah. said that was a take we used and he said like even mick ronson was looking over him like what's well, going what on with you man there, yeah. what's going on with you and he said he was just so emotionally wrapped up in that song and yet he hit every note yeah. on key yeah and the that magic. was the take they used, yeah. you know. And he said, "You, if you listen to it, if you listen to the," he said, uh, "I have the isolated track, mm -hmm. and it's on YouTube somewhere now. Right. You, you listen to the isolated track, you can actually hear it, you know. Mm. And it's uh, amazing that you can somebody can actually do that mm. on point like that." Did you ever hear um, Derek and the Dominoes' uh, "Little Wing"? Yeah. He's bawling his eyes out while yeah. he's doing that too. Yeah. Because they were very close, wasn't it? Jimi Hendrix and, yeah. and Eric Clapton. That's right. And he's singing, you can hear him openly weeping while he's singing, like into the second verse. You're like, wow. Yeah. He's, he's, he's feeling He's it wrapped like, right into it. Yeah. 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 Uh, there's some moments too <clears throat> that, that are like you can do it first take or you'll, you'll work your ass off. Yeah. You try to get it for a hundredth take and then you fix and it. And then you, you try and fix it later. Like, <laughs> like, like, um, um, what's his name? George Martin did when he recorded Ultravox. Oh yeah. Uh, each track was, each vocal line was done something like 20 odd times, 15 odd times. And he would take a, a word, a word and a line and a word and a line and, and like basically, you know, yeah. Well, day, all in, day in the life took three days to record. <laughs> yeah. And it was, uh, they were using a technology where they're using a pilot tone from each machine to sync two, four track machines together. That's right. Yeah. Isn't I remember crazy? reading that. Yeah. The guy invented that for that. And that's how imagine? they managed yeah. to sync together two four-track machines. Incredibly, you know, incredibly hard that would be. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. to mix it later, right? Exactly. Because they talk, There's I can't find it anywhere, but there's production notes on Day in the Life, and they tell you exactly what take was used in the song, when, what bar. So when you're listening to um, the part where woke up, got out of bed, that's yeah. take 48, yep. taken at this time. And yep. so the people have, because the, the um, assistant engineers are right down the exact same time that it was at the time that it was recorded, yep. the take, you know, so people know these things. Oh yeah. I can't yeah. find his production notes on Day in the Life. You could do a whole like TV Book show. On it. Yeah. 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 On yeah. That song. And they talk about like, well, they could. They had eight track machines in America. Yeah, they couldn't afford to bring one over. No, no. So they use. <laughs> they loop the two fours together. Yeah. I, I mean, and that's still. Um, 
one of the most incredible albums ever if you think about it sonically mm. oh and, yeah you know it's it's never played it live done. beautifully done no never no, played it live no. no couldn't do it couldn't right yeah yeah, yeah. That's talk about that was a thumb in the eye to the audience too. Oh like, yeah, I dare you to come along for this little ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah that dare was you. A, I was I was there when that came out and I was like, whoa. Yeah, well, it was it was Rubber Soul before that. Yeah, and then Rubber Soul was the intro. Yeah. actually, to the build up to uh, it was like, know. here we're gonna try this your way. You know, yeah, Rubber Soul here, there, and everywhere, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm up on my Beatles lore. Yeah, yeah. I could talk to you all day, you know, and I feel like now we're actually into the part <laughs> of the podcast that I really enjoy, which is the conversation part. But I, I don't want to take too much of your time, but you can, let's do it. Let's carry on from this point. Of course. Because this is the part that I really enjoy sure. about this show is the conversation part, because, you know, I, I want to hear, but I know, I know you, but I don't know you from the 60s and yeah, the 70s yeah. and the 80s. What I can say is I appreciate the fact that you're still here doing it. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's that's it's, my clothes. Do you feel that? Yeah. You feel the clothes. That's, that's it. It's pretty good, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anytime, um, anytime, and I appreciate your date crumble. Oh no problem. That's uh, that's. And uh, thanks for coming. Thank my wife for that. House. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, to be continued. Yeah, definitely, okay, definitely. Cool. Thanks, I, I look forward to that. Awesome. All right. Rude Van Steens, everybody. Great episode. That was a long one. Probably maybe the longest episode I've done. Getting up on a hundred odd minutes. 101 minutes now. Everybody, thanks so much for listening to this show. Thank you so much for supporting me and my endeavors and my podcast. Thank you to fetchclass.com, insightrecorders.com. Don't forget about the download codes for your band. You play live shows and you want to sell your music, but you don't want to sell it anything on Bandcamp. You want to sell it right there on the merch table to the person. Get download codes. Contact Insight Recorders for more information. Musician's Friend Affiliate Program. Amazon Affiliate Program. Banggood Affiliation Programs. All on the Applog.ca website. On the banners on the right side. Click on those. Bookmark all those banners and you'll be supporting the show. Thanks to... And go, while you're there, go to Applog Shop shop for all your podcast stuff like my acoustic album and my discography and a t-shirt patreon.com slash apologues place to go pledge the show everybody thank you so much facebook don't forget about facebook don't forget about twitter next week i have steven rawls from the band belvedere they got back together and put a new album out and we talked about it and he's gonna be on the show and I'm very happy to say that. And everybody, we will see you next week, okay? Like I said, I can't thank you enough for listening to this show. It really does mean a lot. I'll see you next week. Bye.